Welcome to the Riot Woman podcast, which features creative conversations with artists, academics, and activists who identified with or were influenced by the punk and Riot Girl subcultures. I'm your host, Eleanor Callett Whitney, a feminist writer and marketer based in Brooklyn, New York, and the author of the forthcoming book, Riot Woman, a collection of memoir-infused essays about how Riot Girl has shaped my life. On this show, I'll be talking with a diverse range of guests and invite them to reflect on how punk, feminism, and the do-it-yourself spirit has impacted their adult lives and the work they make. This episode, featuring a conversation with Los Angeles-based artist and visionary Aurora Lady, is especially near and dear to my heart. Aurora is not only a badass feminist illustrator, stylist, glitter makeup artist, and fashion designer, but one of my creative guides. She's a constant source of inspiration and someone I can trust to hear me out on and give feedback to my wildest ideas and biggest, boldest, scariest, and hairiest plans. I found that tapping into my own creativity and trusting my creative visions is often a challenge, and Aurora is always there to support me and push me towards creative follow-through. She's also the creator of this podcast's logo. I feel grateful that she and I met through zines not all that long ago, back in 2014, and one of our first significant hangs was at a local coffee shop in Pasadena where we copied, collated, and stapled our zines together to get ready for the 2014 LA Zine Fest. It felt just like old times. In this conversation, we talk about zines as an educational building block for feminism, building feminist community via live journal, making friends in LA or anywhere as an adult, and how we signaled our feminism and relationship to Riot Girl as teenagers and 20-somethings through fashion, as well as the radical fashion influence of Courtney Love. We also process the resurgent trend of all things 90s and discuss the trap and difficulty of chasing nostalgia. Finally, Aurora shares her advice on how to develop your art and where you're at as an artist. And hint, it has nothing to do with Instagram. So please enjoy my talk with artist Aurora Lady. get started. So I'm here in beautiful Pasadena, California with artist and illustrator and all around rad lady, Aurora Lady. And we're going to be talking about her interaction with punk, rock, riot girl, feminism, fashion, and we'll see where this conversation goes. We have a studio assistant, <laughs> Lilu Kelly. So if you hear the jingle of some uh, dog tags, do not be alarmed. That's just our assistant, our tech, if you will. She's actually taking some time off right now. Yes. She's, she's sitting on a rug with her eyes closed. She's pretty tuckered out. We've been really putting her through her paces this morning. We have. Well, being a dog is a tough life. <laughs> oh, no, we promised not to talk about dogs. Here we go. This is the dog podcast. We're going to be talking about your favorite dogs. The dog cast. <laughs> All right. So, so let's get started. Um, first, could you tell me about when you first discovered punk rock or Riot Girl? Um, how old were you? Where were you living? And what 
bands or parts of punk, you know, grabbed your attention and what appealed to you about it? Okay. I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to preface this because all of this is very punk rock adjacent. And I know enough about teenage punk rock to know that this is not cool, but I'm going to say it. It's going to be what it is, and everyone's going to know, and I'm going to be okay with it because I'm in my late 30s, and nobody cares anyway. I've reached full ascension at 39. (laughs) Nobody is going to care. So um, I believe I was 11, and somehow I had gotten a hold of an issue of Seventeen magazine, and there was an issue that had Drew Barrymore on it and it had an article about the exploding scene of Riot Girl. And guess who was featured? Give it a guess. Kathleen Hanna? No. Jessica Hopper. Oh, amazing. And she had uh she had um I think she was taking some time away from Riot Girl or something. And, and she had a fanzine called Hit It or Quit It at that point. Or was that later? I don't know. Okay. I never read it. I just knew her from Seventeen Magazine. Ah. I was a child. This was the Seventeen Magazine was like my world. And like this was the first issue so that I had come across. So I saw Jessica Hopper. Hopper. And she was talking about Riot Girl, And I was like, what is Riot Girl? Because Seventeen Magazine is all I've got right now. And this sounds way fucking cooler. Like, this sounds like I could make stuff, which was stuff I wanted to do. I was always, like, a creative kid. And my mom was super encouraging of that. But I had no real, like, direction with it. And when I read about Riot Girl. In Seventeen magazine, it like kind of piqued my curiosity and let me know there were like other kids who were like into it and into music and like listening to cool things that they had created. So, were you able to follow up in that moment, or did it take a few years uh, until you realized like you could make a zine or something like that? So, from there. I started combing through like Sassy Magazine and that was like the ultimate lead in to like getting involved with any of that stuff. Um, I would just like tear through old issues of Sassy Magazine, which luckily nobody at my library wanted. Um, so they would just like get rid of them at the end of the year. So I would end up with like a year's worth of Sassy Magazine. And I would just go through it and, like, start looking through the bands they had reviewed and, like, the zines they had reviewed. And I'd, like, mail off for those things. And that was, like, my first, like, real um, involvement with that world. So you're mailing off. So you're mailing off for, like, zines and bands. And uh, did you start your own zine or did you sort of translate your impulse to make things that you had gotten or your mom had helped channel you into this sort of riot girl identity oh my gosh Eleanor I started my first scene it was fucking horrible I'm even ashamed (laughs) of the name I'm not even gonna say it it's a fucking nightmare like I mean I believe that all first zines should be awful that's like a starting point anyway (laughs) but um I mean kudos to you if they're not or your yours wasn't or somebody's wasn't you got away with murder if you 
made a zine, your first zine, and it wasn't awful. Um, but mine was legitimately awful. Like, and I think there were two or three issues. And um, <sighs> what was in it? Like, did you? Oh, I tried to be really cool and like do music reviews. But like, you know, you're 14 years old. What do you know about music? Like, it, period. Like. It's awful. So was it like music focused or personal focused? It was everything. Got it, it was like a big conglomeration of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it was, as they say, a shit sandwich. You know, uh, my first scene, I did it with my best friend, Ariel. We called it random. Okay. Oh, but you knew it was random. Yeah, but it was it's the funny. 90s. So it's like, ah, oh, it's funny. We're yes. random. And, uh, you know, we had comics and then like political rants and poetry and collages. And we made the first cover with Scrabble letters and oh. we like photocopied them, but we didn't realize it photocopied backwards. <laughs> so it said Modnar. It's even nineties, really. Yeah, I mean it was it was kind of perfect. Um by the way, I would have been obsessed with your scene. Thank you. Well we put it around town in Portland, Maine at like coffee shops and the record store and actually we did meet a few people through it um because there wasn't a lot and uh some of those folks I'm still in touch with, which is pretty neat. And we also would then, when I got more into punk later, like we would go to shows or organize shows, but you were in Fresno at the time? No, I was. um, So I went to school kind of in Fresno and then we ended up moving out of Fresno when I was in seventh grade. So at this point I was living in really, really small towns in the Valley, like literally 45 minutes to an hour and a half from any like large city which the largest city was Fresno (laughs) so how did you relate to this idea of punk and riot girl living in such an isolated place did it feel abstract to you that the fact there was like other girls out there oh kind of like it was very romanticized in my head like this was a thing that I couldn't really touch that I would only know through my mailbox um occasionally I would go to shows but it was like I didn't have a car like it was like oh my gosh I remember like the first few shows I went to which were quote unquote shows were Christian shows Mm. with Christian bands because that's what I could get a ride to like some kids at school would go to these Christian shows in the big city and so that's what I would go to. And I would be like, okay, this is as close as I can get, which no. So when did or did Riot Girl ever cross over to being like real life? Did you ever feel like you were able to develop like, and I don't mean to say that the mailbox wasn't real life. I mean, I met some of my best friends yeah. like through and best friends are close friends to this day, like through the mailbox mm-hmm. and, you know, message boards and things. But did that ever translate or at what moment did it become more of a tangible community or was it always abstract? I think it was like always like 90% abstract. Like it wasn't until I got to college where I, which was, I graduated high school in 99. So um, like early aughts when I got to 
college and like I found other women who were into Riot Girl, who were familiar with it, knew what that meant. Like we could have these conversations and understand what each other were talking about. By the time you got to college, so like in your late teens, yes. um, early 20s. Yeah, like, I was like 18. Yeah, did you still feel like you related to it? I mean, the culture had sort of shifted around Riot Girl as well at that totally. time. Totally. It didn't matter to me. I was like, this is the life I finally get to like live. And I've been dream- dreaming dreaming about it being a reality for so long. Like, it didn't matter to me. Uh, So how did that manifest itself? Um, You studied art, right? Yeah. Well, I didn't start out studying art. I was a journalism major for two years, believe it or not. Amazing. I know. Broadcasting. (laughs) Oh, well, you're right at home. I know. These earphones feel really good. And I want to back up a little bit because I think we've talked before about how uh, along with discovering the politics and the music of Riot Girl, fashion has been a big influence in your life and like making clothes or altering clothes and Courtney Love is sort of an oh my influence. Gosh. So yes. can you talk to me a little bit about how fashion kind of double tailed into this like riot girl identity or like fantasy you had constructed yeah so that was actually like I feel like the through line whether I knew it or not for like my identity and my connection to riot girl like once I found out about like people embracing like vintage clothes and like making their own clothing I was like oh this can be cool My mom started teaching me how to sew when I was about that age, like 11, 12. And we didn't have a lot of money. Like we never went back to school shopping. That was like not a thing. Like if we went to get new clothes, it was at the thrift store, which was fine. But I knew that was like not a thing all of my classmates were doing. And I would do things like because I didn't want them to know like I basically wanted to be invisible. I didn't want people to know that I was different. So like the thrift store thing was an identifier I didn't want. Um, So I would like take old thrift store clothes and like sew on like a guest patch. Like my friend had gotten rid of a pair of jeans, but I couldn't wear the jeans because they didn't fit. So I'd take the patch off and put it on like my thrift store clothes. So I would like kind of fit in. And that was, like, before I discovered, like, Riot Girl and punk and, like, it's okay to make your own clothes. In fact, it's, like, cooler to make your own clothes. So, essentially, like, I felt like Courtney Love was, like, the big permission slip for me. She was the one who was, like, vocal about who she was and what she wanted and her pain. And that really, really resonated with me. And the same for, like, her image and her clothing and, like, her makeup being all fucked up and her, like, clothing being ripped. And I know now, of course, like, she was not the originator of that look. and But she was the one who got to me first. So Right. And she yeah. kind of brought that look into more mainstream yeah, thanks for, for sure. to being on a major label and being yes. associated with, you know, the biggest rock musician of our time. Sure. And things like that. So, yeah. yeah. And it is interesting because, of course, she has this like historic beef with Riot Girl. We don't mm-hmm. need to talk about right. it, but it, it continues to this day. I know. <laughs> it's so wild. It is wild. Um, yeah. So, I'm interested, like, 
were you still doing zines when you got to college? Did you continue to make zines? Did your zines get better? Or did you kind of move on to different forms of art and expression? So I was always interested in zines and like my friends were definitely like always putting out zines in college like that was just like part of the creative makeup we were all doing but I don't think I put out a zine in college I got really into the internet and I discovered like personal websites and um, essentially live journal like the first I guess, real platform for blogging. Like, that's where my creative energy went into at that point. And did you form a community around LiveJournal? I know a lot of people did. Yes. Um, So my friend, Kim, who I actually met on LiveJournal and is still one of my best friends and has seen, like, all of my evolutions since I was, like, 18 or 19. We were talking about this the other day. (laughs) Like, how many communities we formed on LiveJournal, which were really like the same group of girls over and over. We would just like change the group, like literally build a new community with a new name, but it would be all the same 10 people. And it was always something like, I don't know, (laughs) like we were we couldn't even remember these names but they were like pussy lipstick or like something just like random stupid combinations it essentially was like the internet version of zines mm-hmm. for yeah. us for personal zines and for me I had a online diary I had a diary land but I felt like I don't even know if anybody read it so I would make like failed references to like people I had was mad at like my ex-boyfriend which was stupid because like if anyone was reading it it was the people I actually interacted with right um but I always felt like my personal zine was really where I worked stuff out um Mm. though in writing my book I have been going back to my diary land and just (gasps) you still have it well it's not online but the login still works so I was able to like go in to like quote unquote edit the post and I've been like copying and pasting but I'm only like maybe two years into keeping it and I kept it from 2000 to like I think I switched over to blogspot and I don't even know like 2005 2006 so it's, you kept it a long time. I did. I stopped writing so much yeah. maybe around 2004, but it's a lot of bad writing. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, anyway, but it was interesting because I, it was helpful when I was writing um, these personal essays that are going to go or are going into Riot Woman to like cross-reference not only my written journals, but yes. then what I was sort of sharing that wasn't as refined as a zine. Totally. If I could call a zine refined. I got very arty, but I guess... <laughs> Uh, with my zine but I think what I'm trying to say is it is really interesting that in the early aughts there was this explosion of young women's like personal writing through zines and also online diaries and blogs um, which I think is kind of carries over now into a lot of bloggers and maybe even influencer culture but that feels a little more or not a little more very very commercial so it's I don't think it's the same thing. Yeah, I don't think it is either. Like, I felt like with LiveJournal, I had so much control over who was looking at it. And I definitely like, I don't know, it was way more of a community to me than what 
Instagram could ever be just by way of fil- there were multiple filters and like wh- whoever was like you could see who was reading your journal like yeah and there was like the comments aspect there was like no limit on comments and like essentially your caption was the like the live journal entry so like there were no limits on that either right like, and I know for a while on Diaryland, maybe it was the same with Live Journal, no pictures, right? No images. I feel like that might have been right. Yeah, like maybe when I started, it might have. I definitely don't associate Live Journal with pictures. Yeah. No. I think that's why I ended up switching blogging platforms. It's like, wow, I can upload pictures yeah. now and links. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, uh, technology aside. Uh, oh, my gosh. But, I would talk about that forever. Uh, well, it is interesting, <laughs> though, because it's where you form communities. Yes. And I'm just curious, do you feel that you now have more of a real life like feminist community? You don't need that kind of online expression in the same way. Like, where do you get that expression? that community and that sense of like feminist support now okay so here's what's interesting to me I feel like when I was that young person who needed the community so badly I well first of all I was growing up in like a very rural area with a lot of like hyper conservative minds around me so like any feminist conversation or even like a signifier like a person wearing a band shirt I was like I was like a Lilu, like a puppy just like oh my god like I want to be around you all the time can we talk about this have you heard about this oh my god like here listen to this song like mixtapes all over the place just like oh my gosh and So I would get any glimmer of that from someone and like really, really hope that there could be like some like deep connection, like, oh my God, they could, they have the potential to be my best friend. Oh my God, that guy is at a coffee shop. I could totally make out with him. I wasn't making out with anyone. I was very, very shy. But now I feel like it's so much easier to make those connections and also people feel a lot I don't know. I go back and forth on this. Generally, like the people in Southern California, at least, feel maybe a little bit safer about being who they are and vocalizing what they're into. So maybe there's not like that excitement built into it. Like I can tell pretty much straight away I'm going to vibe with someone. I mean, that's probably just a matter of experience, too. Yeah, definitely. And I also feel like being from a rural place, and I've talked about this with other folks on the podcast who are from smaller places, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of us, that, yeah, you didn't often have a choice of like what subculture people you interacted with. You just all were kind of together. So whether that was cross punks or goths, you were just like, oh, you are different. So I'm going to gravitate towards you. I remember when I met my bandmate Eric, or this friend who became a bandmate, uh, he was wearing a homemade T-shirt that said, "I starve myself to be beautiful" on it, like scrawled in Sharpie. <laughs> and I was wearing my new bikini kill T-shirt, and I was just like, "Yeah, you know, just Match totally made in gravitated toward it. Like yes. we need to be friends." And then it was kind of amazing because he was like, "Oh, me and my friend are starting a band, and you know, we need a girl to be in the band, so come <laughs> over and jam with us." And I was like, "I didn't even." I I sort of dismissed the sexist comment because I was sure. like, so excited. Uh, yeah, I would have too. And yeah, I think we just had this friendship, I think based on actual friendship, 
Yeah. I hope you're listening, Eric. Um, <laughs> but also just that we were so excited to have someone who like knew what record labels yeah. we liked. Like, you know, K records, right. me too. Oh, let's sit in the dark and watch Fugazi instrument over and over yes. and over again, even though, you know, that was his reference point, not mine, but it, Yeah, there's just, like, so much romance locked into it. Like, you're realizing this fantasy, like, that that connection that you've wanted. And it's, like, the details, like, almost don't matter. Like, you're you're grasping toward any, like, connection that you can make. Absolutely. Yeah. And let's talk about politics a little bit. So what were some of the political lessons that Riot Girl and Punk taught you or resonated with that you already knew but reinforced oh my gosh okay so I feel like I was learning when when I started reading zines like I didn't know exactly what a feminist was like I knew that these were feminist ideals and they meant something but like I didn't identify as a feminist. Like, feminist sounded like something, not that scared me, but that just that something older people did who, like, were more assured of themselves and, like, knew what they were about. And I was just, like, trying to figure it out. And, like, the cool people were feminists, so how could I ever be feminist? Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost, like, aspirational for me. And that said, I feel like... I don't know. I kind of want to revisit like a lot of those like old tomes, like whether it be music or zines or whatever, like because I feel like those were my educational building blocks. And now I know that they were very second wavy. Um, And that said, like, I think a lot about like Nomi Lamb and like the work she was doing back then. And I'm like, holy shit like how did she get to that so quickly like and Nomi Lamb did zines like I'm so fucking beautiful yes is a fat activist and also a disability rights activist and yeah very intersectional and very radical yes like I remember reading those but I I don't remember them being ingrained like in my mind or categorized as radical I was just like, this girl is a fucking badass. That's so interesting because I remember reading some of her work and just being like, yes, this girl is a badass. Like, how do I become this badass? You know, like, because I remember she uh, wrote something about, like, the fat revolution being, like, punk fucking rebellion. And I was like, I want to be part of the punk fucking rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I... I feel like I, I mean, all of her writing was like that for me, but it was definitely like, I was still putting, I mean, I, mean, I still do this, like putting people on a pedestal and Nomi Lamb was on that pedestal where I was like, oh, I could never be part of that because that's just like so cool and I don't have the capacity to be that cool, which is lame because her thing was all about like, get in here and rock it out, you know? <laughs> How did you move beyond, and of course, I think you and I and a lot of people still struggle with this kind of uh, feelings of insecurity, but how did you move beyond that and really participate in, if not punk or riot girl, like making things and feeling like you could contribute something? I think that's the key is like making something like that's the active part of it. Like when you want to be part of something, you 
do the action to be part of it. So whether it means like going to shows or like buying things to support your friends or like actually making something like that's the part that makes me feel like a little more part of things and less like an imposter but I always I mean even now like I'm constantly I feel like checking myself so what were you making like or or did you start making things I mean now you have a fashion line you make t-shirts and and really one-off art pieces of clothing you're an illustrator you contribute to a lot of different projects that other people do you've made zines um when did you jump in and start making things well I was definitely like making art well I was in college but it wasn't very good and I knew it wasn't very good I mean of course like whatever there's like those are like experimental years like you're still figuring out like what fits and what works for you so like I didn't really put myself out there in that way I was in a band for like two seconds and I realized that was not my hangs what did you play I I wouldn't even say I played but I held a bass amazing (laughs) yeah the other two girls in the band like were really kick-ass and really good at what they did but I was uh kind of the knuckle dragger in the uh in the band listen every band needs a knuckle dragger (laughs) well they did uh they needed me for about two seconds and then I I let them soar on their own (laughs) yeah but I think it wasn't actually really till I got to LA where I was like, okay, I just got to fucking do this. And like, I didn't have the worry of a community around me supporting me or not. Like that was always kind of a struggle in Fresno. I felt like it was a real boys club and I didn't know how to assert myself in that situation. And I felt supported by like my friends, but getting beyond that and like establishing myself as like a serious quote unquote artist was really difficult there. So when I moved to LA, that was like the, I don't know, essentially like another permission slip. Like I can live in this world and not have to contend with the struggle of like, where am I going to have a show at? Like, am I going to have to like, put myself in the ring with artists who are not even like remotely like me who understand me at all like I can just like go from ground zero here and something I really admire is that you have this amazing community of feminist artists and musicians and just people who make things here in LA how did you build that up over time as an adult because I've heard like LA is notoriously difficult to make friends as an adult because everyone drives and you know I haven't found that to be true but I don't live here so maybe (laughs) I get the special New Yorker pass I don't know I feel like I don't know I've heard that everywhere is hard as an adult that's true I've heard that about New York as well (laughs) but I'm also like a big believer in like the coffee date like I will just ask uh, anyone that I find cool out to coffee and some people are receptive and some people are just like not ready maybe for that level of intimacy maybe that's like too much or like I don't know like maybe they're just not feeling the vibe whatever it is like I consider like a even like a 30 or 40 percent success rate in the coffee date 
uh, investment of asking a success. I think that's a huge success. <laughs> and when I first moved here, I was like pretty devoted to like having one coffee day a week, setting those up every week. I mean, some of those people I like never saw again, but it was like it helped me suss out what I wanted to. So I I think just allowing yourself to to try those things and putting yourself out there in a way that's real versus the internet. I mean, the internet is real. I'm trying to catch myself on that. But like in-person interactions, I feel like translate a little better into real life friendships um, because online friendships can just stay online. And they can disappear sometimes. They feel ephemeral. Yeah. Uh, Even if they're very, very emotionally real. Right. They can be ephemeral. So yeah, I think that's great. And something I've noticed is it never for me gets less awkward for me to put myself out there. I mean, doing this podcast has been a great exercise for me and being awkward and just sitting with it and being okay with it. Yeah. And knowing like I'll always feel that sense of imposter syndrome and it's okay. Like I just need to move through it. So I think what you did is really admirable and is a great piece of advice for anyone who's like looking to build a community or has moved to a new city or anything like that. So let's talk a little bit about your current work as an artist. You just released a new line of t-shirts and one-of-a-kind pieces and as you've developed as an artist I'm curious because I've read that you still identify as punk and that punk spirit so how does punk and this radical past of yours fit into the work you're doing now? Yeah so it's I don't know I go back and forth on this too just because I am partaking in like consumerist culture. Like I want people to consume my art, whether that means like a print or like something they see online or like wearing a t-shirt. Like, I don't know. I I go back and forth about like how involved do I want to be with money? I'm not really going to answer your question. That's fine, <laughs> but like, I want to know, know what you I'm, mean about how involved I want to be with money. I've, I have forgotten what your question is. Oh, I'm just fair. curious about how <laughs> punk influences your artwork. Yeah, so there's actually an account on Instagram that I'm following. Everyone should follow it. Um, it's sister.is. Or do you follow that? Yes. Okay, so yeah, we talked about her new book. I can't remember uh, what it's The called. Principles for the Feminine Economy. Yes. So she has all these workshops about like feminist economy. And anyway, I read that book. And thankfully, I read it like right before the line launched. And it was so helpful in like figuring out exactly like what direction I wanted the essentially the launch and the project to go in like there were ways that I could essentially like set up my shop and like my offerings that were pinning on like feminist ideals that I hadn't necessarily like considered for myself can you give an example I can give a few examples there are two offerings on the website (laughs) on the store there's a print and a t-shirt that both have a percentage that are donated to causes that are relevant to the content themselves I also am a big fan of school of life design who 
designed my website. We actually like worked on it together in terms of like building out the identity of the project and they made it like super functional. But they're two women in Cleveland and um, they have like their own line of witchy goods, but they were super helpful in like advising how things could be set up in a way that was like true to myself and not necessarily like, I don't know, like another Shopify store or something. I really love that because I think the internet, while it makes it easy to set up a business and uh, market or merchandise your work, which is great in some ways. I mean, it's, I remember, you know, when we wanted to make band t-shirts, you know, it was like, go to the thrift store and get t-shirts and learn how you burn a silk screen and then do it yourself. And I mean, I still love that and I still love getting messy making things, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's something to be said about a certain ease and lack of time between idea to execution. But I think then the downside is it can feel a little generic or you get things like Cafe Press or wherever where you're just putting like generic designs on a million different products and it doesn't feel like you have someone's original art. Right. Yeah. So that was interesting for me because I was trying to figure out like what can essentially like democratize fashion. Like how can I make this accessible in terms of price point while still respecting like the amount of work I'm putting in and like all of my efforts. It was really important to me to get the widest range of sizes that I could get, um, which is still not perfect. Like that's a work in progress. And also like the accessories that I wanted to do are like handbags and masks. They'll like work on pretty much anyone. And they're all at different price points. And like they're all essentially like on found canvases or pieces. Um, So you're really bringing your thrift store past into your artistic present. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And also that's ecological minded as well. Yeah, I'm trying. Like that is... I don't know that I've seen like a perfect system. I I think I'm not sure if that's where like more money would come in to like pull in that perfect system. Like I would love to see like more companies doing things where they pay their people fairly, of course. Like, I mean, that's the ideal situation. Like, how do we all get to that point? You know, absolutely. Um, And as you're figuring this out, you mentioned that a lot of the zines and ideas that influenced you before you go back and look at them and they feel more second wave. So maybe less intersectional feminist, but you're taking like a very intersectional approach to how you make your work and put it in the world. So I'm just curious, like where your politics are at now and how those evolved as well. I mean, that's another like work in progress. Like, (laughs) definitely. Yeah. Like, I feel like in the past two years, like, with the advent of technology and like communication and like how accessible education has become in terms of feminism, it's really helped me grow. And I feel like I'm discovering new things like all the time, like every day I'm like finding stuff on Instagram and screen grabbing it and then looking up that person and like trying to learn more about the idea that they're bringing to the table. I still find that like, I don't know, like that second wavy stuff still feels like 
very comfortable to me. And <laughs> maybe to be more precise about what we're talking about, when you say second wavy stuff, what exactly do you mean? Or what what politic in that feels comfortable? I mean, that, I mean, let's just, we could say like Gloria Steinem's kind of Got stuff, it. you know? Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, for me, I feel like the touch point is... I guess what's called the third wave now. Mm-hmm. So Bell Hooks is someone I yeah. kind of, and of course she doesn't make me feel comfortable as a white person, which is right. good. Like her yes. politics push me, but it's something I really grew up with. I think I read Talking Back when I was 18 and have read it several times since yeah. in her other work. And then many of the zinesters who like Evolution of a Race Riot, uh, Mimi Nguyen, um, those zinesters who really helped me get, a really practical understanding mm-hmm. of intersectional feminism, but I find myself returning to that, even though it's so interesting because that's like 25, 30 years old at yeah. this point. Yeah. It's so interesting that, I, I don't know, like part of my job is to, of course, like do my own work and like educate myself and I'm happy to do that. But I'm just so grateful to my friends who have like given me a heads up, like especially like in the past two years who have said like, Hey, Aurora, like check this out, like get time to get on board, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I know there's a lot of talk around like call out culture, calling out Mm -hmm. versus calling in, but I think it is so important and I have felt so grateful to my friends or people I don't even know who have written zines or have had conversations. I mean, feedback is such a gift. It is. But we really have to learn how to receive it and process it and have space to do that. So I think it is really important in sustaining and growing as feminists that we create spaces, which doesn't mean not holding people accountable. Of course. But speaking of 25, 30 years ago... (laughs) This is going to be very elegant. So casual. So casual. Well, okay. So we've been talking a lot about your sort of punk rock origin story and your influence of folks like Courtney Love and the consumer culture that kind of goes along with that. A lot of your designs kind of reference the 90s as well or like icons from the 90s. So I'm just curious your take on the fact that the 90s are fucking back and but the, especially the fashion, yeah. like those butterfly clip things, not or whatever they are, the triangle clips. I think I had five of them in my hair yes. in my senior picture. Yeah, did you have the twists? No, I didn't. Holding them? I didn't have the. I had those. I did. Oh man. Okay. Sorry. Give it all to me. <laughs> so maybe this is just around like me processing this. I remember I went to New York City in maybe 1998 or 1999 to visit my friend Nicole Solomon, who co-ran a cassette tape label with her sister, Louisa. It was called Pass the Buck. Louisa plays in the band of Shonda's now. Uh, Nicole's a filmmaker. But we went to Ricky's, which is still one of my favorite makeup and like pharmacies. It's in, like a drugstore, yeah, right? It's a drugstore, yeah. yeah. And, and they had really cool, they had like Urban Decay cosmetics. What? And they had their own line of cosmetics. And I bought not only uh, Manic Panic lipstick and like Urban Decay lipstick. Can we go to Ricky's? That yeah, we great. definitely can. But I also bought those triangle clips and they were <laughs> blue and sparkly and I fucking loved them and I just thought that was like the most 
riot girl signal I could oh. send out was like wearing these triangle clips and my hair is short now but it's it's very very curly and it was very long and thick so it's really like the only way I could control it I didn't really know about like product sure then. Or the fact you could just chop it off and then it generally right. behaves. Right. Um, so now when I see these clips that are like high fashion, I kind of have this weird freak out. And I'm sure many people feel this because I'm like, but that was like uh, my teenage thing. And for me, it's it was how I signaled being yeah. Riot Girl, And now... Ooh, now it's just a fashion accessory and it was probably always just a fashion accessory yeah. it doesn't matter my feelings so that's my story <laughs> my feelings um but what about you what do you feel when you see things like this whether it's the clips or something else I have to remind myself that fashion is cyclical and fashion is referential and I don't know. I try to remember like the things that really excited me in the 90s. They were giving me a feeling of like nostalgia then. So like I remember I had a pair of like legit old man pants, which were like from the 70s and they were plaid and they were polyester. And like now if I wore those things, they would give me like, I don't know, like a series of like pimples around my crotch area. I was like every kind of hive. Right, exactly. (laughs) Now I would never wear them because of comfort reasons. But when I was a teenager, they were like the coolest thing ever. And it was because like I wanted to have the feeling of being like a kid who didn't care. Like I wanted to have that punk rock spirit of like nobody can touch me because I already don't care. fuck you so I feel like those things were pleasurable to me because I associated them with a decade that I didn't know about therefore romanticized like everything was romanticized the things I loved like the Delia's catalog which is I guess back again really or the catalog isn't back but like Delia's is back. They're doing a line with Dolls Kill, which Dolls Kill is a piece of shit, but whatever. Ooh, what I mean, piece of shit because they're badly run or because they're badly made or manufactured and steal from other designers. Shitty. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway, Delia's is back. And I look at Delia's designs and I was I was interested when it came out. I was like, oh my gosh, they're gonna like actually like redo Delia's in like a cool way and like I'm gonna have that feeling again because really all fashion comes down to is a feeling like you were talking about that those butterfly clips like you talked about how you felt and I looked at these designs and like I couldn't conjure those feelings again like and I don't know if it's because I'm like a 39 year old woman now I'm not a a 14 year old but I just couldn't identify anymore with that. Like, it didn't make sense in my world anymore. Um, the things that make sense in my world are things that bring me pleasure. So, like, I have the Selena tea, which, I mean, I listened to Selena as, like, a junior high school student, and it was, I really feel like the only, 
only way I would have listened to her was because I was living in a rural area and like that's what the kids around me were listening to like it wasn't the cool music it was like the community's music and when I heard it it was because it was like an act of sharing from one one person to another like literally I was on a bus I was the new girl and I happened to be seated next to this girl named Amber who was listening to Selena on her headphones on her fucking Walkman and she decided to share her headphones and Selena was on and like I could cry thinking about that now like what who what a sweet thing to do to like do that for the new girl like just so she feels like a little bit connected that's what like Selena means to me like connection and Selena wasn't like a riot girl or anything (laughs) but those are the things that I want to I want to bring to the table because they make me feel good absolutely and I think and I'm like tearing up (laughs) thinking about this story and I mean you know Selena was incredibly influential I think and a lot of folks who are Mexican Mexican American really identify with her so Mm -hmm. yeah and of course we don't have to only talk about riot girls like the foundation of our influences of and I love that and you're sharing in in a very authentic way what that means to you through your art thanks yeah and I don't know like I have a dress I'm wearing it uh, right now uh and it's got those um little clips that I don't know I feel like we all wore them in our hair like to you know in the 90s so you just like snap into your hair and they yeah. hold everything back but like they were definitely like a fashion item and I was just thinking about like how can we use those nostalgic things in like a new way like I'm not the person who would wear those clips in my hair anymore but a dress is pretty like baller like yeah, it's pretty bad it's, it's very abstract psychedelic pattern um <laughs> I'll be posting a photo of this dress in question um I didn't think of that but now I see it and I love it thanks yeah and I think that's kind of a nice metaphor for where riot girl and these influences that helped us define ourselves in our early life but I think that idea of re purposing and kind of reinterpreting nostalgic items for ourselves in a way that squares with our adult lives Mm -hmm. is just an apt metaphor for what I want to get to at this podcast really so is there other ways you're doing that not just with the dress or your line um, whether that's like a political approach to your life or I mean I don't know that I use the term political approach but I am I feel like I'm constantly trying to chase that feeling of being a teenager, like locking myself in my room and just making shit. Like, so I don't know. (laughs) Like lately I've been pulling pictures out of magazines and just cutting them up and making collages in the evening. I started like journaling, like having dedicated journaling time, which I know is just like a healthy thing to do. But like... These were things I did as a teenager without thinking about them. And now I have to like actively create time and space for them. But I feel like it helps me. So I think like activity-based nostalgia is really good for me. Definitely. I feel like for me doing this podcast is even kind of 
Hello. Hi. <laughs> Activity-based nostalgia because um, I used to like record my bands uh, with a cassette deck first and then with a four track. Hey, so yeah. Well, I have one more question for you and then I think we're going to wrap up. Our studio tech is telling us that it's, it's time. Um, <laughs> and that is just, do you have advice for any young artists or young feminists or just people who are feeling like the weirdo in their rural area or even if it's in a big city but they're just not connected to people like them what would you tell them it's hard to like take my 39 year old self out of this and I feel like the best thing I've done over the past years year was actually like to get off the internet for like four dedicated months like not post on Instagram or scroll through it, not look at it, not look at Facebook, like actively make a decision to not do that and concentrate on making stuff without the pressure of knowing that an audience is going to look at it. So I think that's like a great thing to do is just like essentially lock yourself in a room and like make stuff and don't think about what other people are going to think about it. And that's not an easy thing to do, like, right now. I mean, if you want to share it with people, go ahead. But taking the internet out of it or the idea of an audience out of it is, like, a really good way to develop, like, who you are and what you're about. And I don't think there's anything punker than that, really, (laughs) than being sure of that or asserting that as well. Right. Totally. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Eleanor. Sure. And um, I'll put links to your content and your store and maybe this dress in the show notes. Thanks. And um, people can find you on the internet at Aurora Lady. Aurora Lady on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to find me. But if you really want the intel, like the scoop, the the uh the zine version of aurora you need to sign up for my newsletter so there's a link in my instagram bio and you can find it on my website auroralady.com and it's a good read folks you don't want to miss it (laughs) thanks welcome (laughs) all right thanks so much thank you ciao bye Thank you again to Aurora for talking with me and you for listening to this edition of Riot Woman. You can find Aurora on Instagram at Aurora Lady and browse her awesome t-shirt and one-of-a-kind wearable art, as well as sign up for her newsletter at auroralady.com. For more information on me and this podcast, you can visit eleanorcwhitney.com podcast, where I've also included links to Aurora's projects in the show notes. While you're visiting my site, I'd love it if you signed up for my mailing list. You can also follow me on Instagram at KillerFem. The song Half Lie by Talene Kelly is our theme music. You can hear more of her work and support her at TalineKelly.com. Finally, if you liked this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It means a lot to me and helps others discover the podcast. Thanks, and until next time... 